Hi, welcome to the Strategy Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Kisip Che, the CEO of PredictX. This podcast focuses on strategy, defining it based on evidence, and influencing others to follow your lead. So my guest today is Anne Derry of S&P Global. In this strategy exchange, we talk about how she became a travel manager in the first place, as well as her approach to stakeholder communications and how she plans to safely navigate a return to travel. I really enjoyed our conversation and hope you do too. Um, Full disclosure, this was recorded just before the insurrection on January 6th. Uh, This is Kisip Che, and my guest today is Anne Derry, who is the head uh, and director of Global Travel and Meetings at uh, S&P Global. Welcome. Thanks, Kisip. Thank you very much for having me here today. So how are you coping with the coup attempt? (laughs) (laughs) I'm ignoring the coup because I don't believe it actually happened. And I am just uh, waiting, you know, for the results of our electoral college, which you know came out. Uh, there are rumors that Rudy's going to appeal to the uh, Supreme Court yard by Marriott. Um, <laughs> but, well, I um, hope it's fully rejected. <laughs> <laughs> but on a more serious note, have you considered adding uh, the Four Seasons total landscaping to your meetings and events <laughs> program, and any other garden centers? And... Yeah. No comment. No comment. <laughs> um, yeah, it is probably not a good thing. I can, I can picture your uh, executives in the parking lot of a garden center presenting to uh, maybe the shareholders. Not that effective, I guess. Not a good, not a good visual, no. <laughs> not a good visual. <laughs> well, uh, let's just start with you. Um, um, and travel managers come from all sorts of different backgrounds. And, and I think yours is pretty unique because I think you came from a legal background and uh, I don't know of anybody else uh, from that background. So how did you kind of go from there to get into travel? Yeah, so um, when I graduated, I graduated from Rutgers back in the early 80s and uh, I was a political science major and I immediately started working in, uh, as a corporate paralegal. It was a really big M&A market going on here in the United States at the time. There was a really big M&A bud bubble going on and um, I fell into paralegal work Hmm. and uh, I ended up doing the same type of work when my husband and I moved to France. And then shortly after we went from Paris down to Grenoble, I couldn't really find a job in legal. Hmm. So I reinvented myself as a bilingual uh, American business English teacher. And I did that for five years. And then Hmm. we came back in 97, went back into law and uh, I was working for DRS Technologies And they had just rolled out a global travel program that actually was not going well out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day when it was a little quiet in the legal department, I walked over to the CFO's office and I said, you know, I heard you're rolling out this travel program. If you need any help, you know, I have a legal background, of course, I can help with contracts or project management, you know, attention to detail. Mm And she said, oh, no, 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 my admin is handling everything, it's fine, but you know, we appreciate your volunteerism. You know? And I said, okay, well, if you need anything, just let me know. And then three weeks later, she came back to my desk and said, you know, remember when you offered to manage the travel program? <laughs> and I said, uh, no, I said I, I said, I could help. I have, you know, I have a day job. And she said, well, we'd really like your help. You know? And that's how I suddenly fell into corporate travel. 
And yeah, so uh, the sector basically drafted you. <laughs> it, the sector drafted me, yes. First, I volunteered as a recruit and was rejected. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> then I was drafted. <laughs> I think, I'm, I'm guessing that some of that background uh, working in, in the legal side must have been good training because one of the things I know on the legal side, you're always juggling multiple deals and contracts and things um, at the same time. It's not like you're working on one thing. You're working and relying with the, the other side, so to speak, your counterparts, but also with your own stakeholders and so on and so forth. And one thing that I've learned um, from, from talking to, to travel managers like you is that the teams tend to be pretty understaffed for the kinds of work that you do. Um, and of course, there are some travel departments with quite you know, quite uh, big, big teams and so on. Yeah. 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 But my belief is that, tell me if I'm wrong, is that after sort of some minimum critical mass, pretty much the same activities have to get done. You still need to do your sourcing. You still need to do your duty of care and so on and so forth. Um, it's not suddenly that, um, you know, you, the, the same activities have to happen, whether you have a billion dollar program or a hundred million dollar program. Yeah. I think yeah. And I mean, really, you know, the sourcing part, and I've always said this is the easiest part of travel yeah. management. Yeah. The hard part is actually operationalizing all those contracts, yeah. because if you don't operationalize them correctly, then you can't meet any of your savings targets, your KPIs, your SLAs, yeah. nothing, nothing can be done effectively if you don't operationalize properly. So, you know, I, I, I've always said that that is really the hardest part of travel management, yeah. but it's also the, you know, it's, it's challenging and it's also exciting, right? Because yeah. when you can roll out a program successfully, you know, it, it um, you know, I know for myself, I, I really do get a, a big charge out of seeing people, you know, enjoy the travel program. They find it user-friendly, their user yeah. experience is, you know, better than they expected or better than it was in the past, you know? Right. So, you know, hearing those types of, uh, you know, comments is really, you know, it kind of makes your day because most yeah. of the time you're, you're putting out fires and dealing with things that went wrong on the supplier side that yeah. you really have control over, but you always have to fix internally. So. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's a complicated um, activity. So now let's talk about that for a little while. Cause, um, cause uh, some, you know, you sit kind of in the procurement department with uh, most of the travel travel departments tend to sit there, I think, um, procurement and finance. And uh, sometimes the CPOs and procurement departments um, don't always understand um, the procurement is not like office supplies or IT consumables. <laughs> and to your point exactly, the, the stakeholders and travelers and individuals, that sort of engagement uh, is 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 really pretty unique to travel rather than the other procurement categories, you say? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the initially the, the part that makes it the most unique is that as the, um, as a travel procurement specialist or expert, mm. you know, you are your initial stakeholder, right? Mm. I mean, all of my procurement colleagues, they have other stakeholders, you know, the, the procurement expert in yeah. HR, he deals with the entire people team. And, you know, the, the one who's managing professional services deals with the marketing teams and the legal teams, et cetera. But, you know, with travel, initially you are your own stakeholder. 
So that makes it already quite unique from a procurement perspective. And yeah. then of course, you know, the, your internal stakeholders go up and down the corporate ladder. It's mm -hmm. from the C-suite, you know, down to the administrative assistants who become the travel arrangers for a lot of the people that they support. So you really have to have not only communication skills, but you know, you have to understand your organization. You have to understand how your organization functions, the different functions, the different business divisions, and then, you know, and approach the program from so many different angles. So, I mean, I, I've always thought that that's why travel management is much more exciting than law. <laughs> I'm very glad that I changed careers uh, 20 plus years ago, um, you know, because it, it's it's a mixture of specialties, right? It's a it's not only travel management, but it's also communications, it's training, implementations, operationalization, sourcing, you know, so it, it's a whole smorgasbord of, of activity that goes on on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, so. Let's talk a little bit about the, the engagement with the C-suite and senior managers, because you mentioned that, and um, some travel managers during the lockdown, the pandemic, suddenly had lots of questions and scrutiny, maybe from the C-suite that they hadn't had before, and visibility. Right. Um, but I think that's something that you've really worked on to, to it's not, it wasn't new for you just during the pandemic. Yeah? How, how right. is that helpful to you? Yeah, well, you know, I'll speak specifically about, you know, my experience at S&P because that's been really quite unique. Um, I was actually one of the first, I was the first procurement professional that they brought on to this newly formed procurement function. And at the time, the organization wasn't even sure if they actually needed a full-time travel procurement person. Um, in the past, my boss, as well as one of the two of the regional procurement leads were kind of dabbling in the travel program. But, you know, they were always getting negative feedback. And at some point they said, listen, this is the best we can do with our lack of expertise in this field. We really need to bring on an expert. Mm -hmm. So when I joined the organization, um, my role was really very much in the spotlight because I had to prove to our operating committee. I had approved to the Global Business Services Organization executives that there, what I could do, I brought a different set of skills and experience to S&P than any of the other procurement people that had tried to manage the travel function before me. So it already set up a very different dynamic. I was already closely connected uh, to a lot of the executives and you know, gathering a lot of executive feedback about what they didn't like about the current program. So when we went into the TMCRFP, we could really focus on not only their needs, but the needs of the greater organization. Um, once my procurement uh, colleagues and I created our recommendation, um, I actually had to go back in front of the operating committee to pitch the recommendation, which had never happened before. Um, mm. When I was working at Teva Pharmaceuticals, you know, it, it was a, a much more mature travel program. I had been there almost a decade at the time. It was very rare that I ever had to go in front of our board member um, or our operating committee member. But, you know, at S&P, it's a, it's a it's a much less bureaucratic organization. It was much flatter. And because the travel program had, you know, really not met anyone's expectations for so many years. Um, and a lot of those complaints did bubble up to the CFO um, and the CEO, you know, that they really wanted to hear firsthand how we were gonna approach, what was our new strategic approach 
it's implementing a new agency. So, mm-hmm. so that was, you know, that was a very unique experience. I had only been with the company about three months when I had to present to the operating committee. And, um, you know, thankfully it all went really well. You know, I think, you know, it's important when you're working with top executives that you come in really prepared and that you're prepared for any type of questions they might, might ask, you know, um, things that may seem obvious to a travel manager or a procurement professional may not be obvious at all to your executives, you know? So, um, you know, I, we worked, the team and I worked on that presentation for quite a while and, uh, and it, it went really well, it went well. Uh, and I think you were also um, sustaining that engagement, aren't you? Um, so any sort of quick advice to some of your colleagues who haven't maybe engaged with the C-suite before? Sure. Yeah. Well, I have continued that engagement because, yeah. you know, with the implementation of PredictX, for mm. instance, um, you know, again, gathering all the feedback from our top executives, one thing they always complained about was it took too long mm. to get t e data to get any sort of overview, any sort of understanding of what was going on. And, you know, you have to feel like that's a very ironic situation when you're working for an organization that is technology driven and brings business intelligence to the marketplace. Why were they struggling so much internally to do the same for their internal stakeholders, right? So that was that was a really, you know, unique situation for myself. And um, when I suggested PredictX because you know, we had already a relationship when I was at Teva. Um, you know, I went back to the same executives and said, listen, this, these are the types of dashboards and reporting and potential enhancements we can make to our T&E data, data set that we can give you, you know, on a monthly or quarterly basis. And they were, you know, they were all very intrigued. I don't think they really believed we could get the platform off the ground because of all the challenges the company had had in the past. Yeah. But you know, in the last three years, we've made huge, huge gains in that area, and uh, and I think you know, with the distribution of the story last year, I think that really was just the um, you know, the icing on the cake when it came to you know being able to deliver digestible and visually engaging data regarding T and E to our top executives. Well, and as a company, it's it's hard to think of a, a group of people who'd be the mo- more discerning and because like you said the whole company's in the business of doing analysis and distributing that information to its clients right in report form a lot a lot of the time right so during this lockdown period um, um, I'm sure you've been very busy um, and actually looking at strategy and strategic initiatives and can you kind of Talk about what you've been involved with and and what what some of those initiatives might be. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, you know, I think early on, like most travel managers, I, I went through a few weeks of just complete fear that I had lost my total purpose, considering the program was now suspended mm. indefinitely. Um, you know, but very quickly, probably starting in April, I would say, you know, a lot of industry webinars started to. Um, started to be offered that really focused on the return to business travel and kind of wrapping our heads around what that concept is going to look like in the short term as well as you know the long term and then I got very involved in that entire um, framework build out Um, I think it was in May I went to my direct management and said I know this sounds a bit far-fetched but we actually have to start thinking about a return to business travel that's not going to look like what it did in 2019, 
our whole program is going to have to change because of this new kind of very excessive layer of duty of care that we have to consider during a pandemic. And we also have to take into consideration that different regions are going to come back to travel faster than others because, you know, we're, we're almost following the trajectory of the pandemic itself. And, you know, initially this was, I, I think my, the whole concept of the return to business travel framework was very esoteric for my management. But when I kind of put that into the context of we have to follow the pandemic, <laughs> you know, it started in Asia, it's, you know, diminishing in Asia, then Europe, and then, you know, the Americas, um, they really started to grasp that the program was going to come back slowly and very differently than it was in the past, you know, so that, <clears throat> that entire uh, development of the framework led to a task force being created. I, I led the task force. I had colleagues from uh, global security, from the people team, from facility management. And it also gave, you know, that, that experience gave me exposure to other executives and other stakeholders that I had never worked with before. For instance, the facility management people are site managers, mm. you know, in a, in a normal travel program, I, I never really had to speak with the site managers, but, you know, during the pandemic, the site managers really became the gatekeepers of all of our office locations. And they became the people in charge of who could enter the building and all creating all the protocols we needed in place uh, for COVID-19. And it was essential that they be part of the discussion about this new back to travel framework. So mm -hmm. over the summer, we worked on the framework and then I presented it again to our operating committee, which had now turned into this COVID-19 steering committee. Um, and we went to the global security and I presented together mm. and then came, you know, how do we now communicate this uh, in the most constructive way and least confusing way possible across the organization? Because what we didn't want to do was communicate it globally when, you know, vast parts of the globe were not even traveling yet and probably mm. would not be traveling in the near future. So we took a very regional, very localized approach and started communicating and coordinating with our corporate communication managers in each region to help us build out the communication plan for the return to business travel framework. So that really has taken up probably the last six to nine months of my mm. work. Um, much more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Um, but again, you know, it, it was, it, it really changed the nature of my job. You know, instead of focusing so much on sourcing this year, um, it was more about reinventing travel mm. and somewhat pivoting my own role and becoming a much more strategic uh, stakeholder within the greater organization and these various working groups, you know, the return to office working groups, because our return to travel framework had to align with the return to office framework. So, you know, getting that alignment in place was also a bit complicated. So, uh, well, so that's been my major focus. And then and, my second focus has been yeah. on data. You know, yeah. it's been about the distribution of the story. So. Well, the other thing that I think um, uh, you've worked on, and maybe you can touch on that, is um, um, the whole issue of sustainability is much more front and center, isn't it? Both at the yeah. corporate level and how it applies to travel and so on. So t tell me a little bit about what you've been doing there. It's funny because I just came yeah. off a, a call with a, a different organization. We're going to be doing a webinar yeah. about sustainability um, on this February. So, yeah, so, you know, because of the pause in travel, like many companies, they've taken a step back and they've started to reassess their corporate responsibility programs, 
and net zero programs, sustainable, overarching sustainability. And we did the same at SP. And mm. um, through an assessment that was done by our facilities management company, um, I got pulled into the conversation probably around September, October, when the um, consulting group had started proposing how we could implement science-based targets mm. as they related to our travel program so that we can meet the new net zero initiative goals that the company was, um, was starting to develop. So basically they came to me and said, you know, we want to reduce travel by 25% over the next five years, you know, and our recommendation is, you know, we shift all of business class travel to economy travel. And okay. yes, that was initially right off the bat. That's what they, they wanted to do. And then they had a couple of other ideas that they had. And I was on this call with my management. And the first thing I said was, you know, you, you also have to consider our corporate culture. I said, and that is just not the culture of our organization. You know, when you, mm. as a financial service organization, we have headquarters in, you know, the typical places, London, Singapore, mm. et cetera. And, you know, I knew that that type of approach, that very draconian approach to creating a sustainable program was not really going to be well received. Um, so instead I said, you know, I think we need to look at our data. I said, you know, if you drill into the travel data, <clears throat> you'll see that we have trip purpose codes. And within those trip purpose codes, you know, there are purposes like internal meetings. Mm -hmm. I said, I also think you have to look at, you know, the duration of a flight, right? I mean, we have a lot of short duration domestic and international trips. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, in my opinion, those are the areas that we should initially focus on as well as starting to shift a certain percentage of business class travel to potentially economy plus or premium economy or potentially even economy. So after kind of going through another analysis, a deeper analysis of our data, um, we went back to our executives and brought them a whole different you know, array of initiatives that we can introduce next year to start having a more, a, a greener travel program. You know, so sustainability has really been, you know, quite high on my radar in the last, I'd say, three, four months. Yeah. And, um, you know, and part of that challenge is going to be how do we kind of align our technology with our net zero program from a, a travel booking perspective. Right. Mm. And I think that's something that a lot of travel managers are going to face next year that <clears throat> potentially their online booking tools do not have the agility to have all the right messaging and information about um, helping to change travel behavior toward yeah. more sustainable options, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of challenges, I think, um, that the te technology ecosystem has to step up to, yes. um, including sustainability. And also you mentioned a um, bit more scrutiny or approval process um, before traveling and um, some of the uh, booking tools don't quite facilitate that either in a seamless yeah. way. Yeah. And if it's and not seamless- Having, sorry to cut you off, but also yeah. the creation of a hybrid travel program, yeah. right? Because that really is gonna be the travel program of 2021 and beyond. You know, yeah. How do you really meld this Zoom environment we've been living in the last year into a more sustainable travel program as well? So, yeah. you know, we definitely need more technology to effectuate that. Exactly. And um, the thing that you talked about, which is basically, is my program fit for purpose? 
probably not. What do I need to look at reshaping and somehow reinventing? I mean, as a case in point, one, one, one thing pretty interesting. So this is not um, one of our clients and certainly not a huge company, but uh, someone I know um, is a technology company who during the lockdown basically started hiring remote software developers in a way they've never done before because you didn't need to hire for the, you know, the Palo Alto office anymore, et cetera. Yeah, so you can now hire people from all over the world. Um, so they ramped up their hiring and, you know, hugely. Mm -hmm. So now, and, and speaking to them, they said, well, what we realize kind of the unintended consequences of all of this is that we now have, I forgot the exact number, let's say 50% of our workforce no longer work at the office locations. Right. So, so even if we reduce business travel, seeing customers or whatever, we have to have travel so that these employees who've actually, we've never met, can at least come to the office and have some FaceTime with our colleagues on a regular basis, whether it be quarterly or monthly, whatever. So we're now gonna see business travel of our employees in a way we've never had before. So talk yeah. about completely shifting patterns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree. I also, you know, I also think that that type of internal travel though, I mean, cause that, for instance, at our company, yeah. you know, 25% of our travel is internal travel, you know? And I think that is an area in which, I think we also need to take a step back oh, and no, decide. You can yeah, so you know, someone from New York traveling to meet with our colleague in London, um, some of that could be done remotely, absolutely. But th these guys are talking about the fact that Mario, they hired in Italy, they have never met. Right. He's right. never physically shook, shaken hands with any, any of, his, of his colleagues. Right. So they're, what they're talking about is how do we, how do we sort, of, um, sort of solidify the corporate culture and get these guys to really be a part of that wider team in a way if they've actually never had coffee together. And, you know, right. uh, so it's more the soft stuff they're concerned about. So it doesn't have to yeah. be frequently, but never. Yeah, well, I think that's the point. It doesn't have to be frequently. Yeah. It just has to be really strategically yeah. done. And, and it's, it's more about having more purposeful travel. Yeah. And I think, in, you know, in your example, you know, it's about the, the purpose is, yeah. you know, how do you engage culture. these remote, culture, culture. right, culture. Yeah. How do you engage these remote new employees yeah. who probably were onboarded during the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've, you know, they, they may be struggling to kind of get into the corporate culture, but how do you have more purposeful travel for those types of employees for internal travel? Yeah. And I think that's really going to be a big focus next year. You know, yeah. the whole concept yeah. of purposeful meetings, purposeful gatherings gathering, you know, and that kind of circles back and includes the sustainability piece as well. Yes. And um, so you know, on that point, we've also seen some of, uh, I'm going to count you along amongst the group of our smarter um, uh, customers, of course, all of our customers are smart, but uh, um, really forming those closer relationships with the, with the, with the, their, their colleagues from tax and compliance and regulatory and so on and so forth. Because, uh, you know, when, when things are really, really busy, you're just supplying them with this information. And for instance, with the, some of the regulatory issues, there are sometimes fines involved, right? With this cross-border stuff. And, right. and um, the default standard operating procedure is kind of 
it's all happened already. You kind of let them know um, uh, with the data and then they now have to figure out, well, do, do we need to file some paperwork? Do we need to pay fines? Um, it's all retrospective. And so working together before these things happen um, is an opportunity to form this, I think, closer bonds with these departments be and to your point, mm -hmm. sort of become much more strategic, facilitating mm -hmm. this sort of dialogue. Yeah. Um, no, we've definitely seen that at SP. Yeah. You know, the, the, the people team have been dealing with a litany of issues, you know, yeah. with employees that, you know, because we're all kind of sheltering in place, more yeah. or less, you know, there are employees that want to go shelter in a different country for whatever reason. They have family <laughs> in a different country, they have a spouse in a different, they, you know, whatever the reason is, you know, they want to shelter someplace else and, um, and they want to work remotely someplace else. But, you know, you have to take in consideration, like you mentioned, like there are tax implications, mm. you know, there are payroll implications, you know, and, um, you know, and now that whole concept of remote work has, it has, has had to become much more transparent so that, you know, not only can we ensure the duty of care of our employees, but also, you know, we're, we're not setting ourselves up or the employee is not setting themselves up for some sort of, you know, penalty you know, from a, a regulatory perspective, like you said, you know, and yeah. I, I, w I really wasn't aware of any of that in the past. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I, that, I mean, it's, it's definitely not my expertise and I don't really have that type of situation where I would just up and want to move to another country just to work remotely. Um, but as we were building out the return to business travel framework, it was a people team that said, well, you know, we also need some sort of a framework, how to address all these requests for remote work, you know, so initially we worked on, you know, a strategy for people and how mm -hmm. they needed to address that with the, within the HR process. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's really been, you know, so many unexpected things have happened this year, yeah. but, you know, there are some, you know, really highlights, you know, that have actually improved the way we work with each other internally. Well, I think the, my, my guess is that um, once travel returns and, you know, the vaccine rollout is just amazing from zero to like thousands already and yeah. then producing hundreds of thousands and millions um, that, that doing this work that you've done now or during the last several months is really going to pay dividends in terms of forming strategy and engagement and being able to, because to, things will maybe be different once again, six, nine months time, um, the way people travel may be different. Maybe they'll be demanding different things. Uh, even something as simpler, simple as um, some of the hotels you had in certain cities may no longer be fit for purpose. And all sorts of things will come up, yeah. and, but now having that strategic engagement will allow you to maybe quick, change quicker and have better communications and all of that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. like you said, some, some, there's going to be some hidden benefits out of, of having this time to work on, on the business, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are benefits to your own travel program, right? I mean, our, our hotel program is going to become much more strategic. It's, yeah. It obviously is probably going to shrink because we're yeah. not going to be traveling as much, at least for the next two years. Um, you know, and I think also just the, the whole concept that I think a lot of people, you know, were thinking that the, having the vaccine was going to be the silver bullet and we were all going to be able to kind of get vaccinated and get back yeah. out there, you know, and after I've had, you know, I, I sit on the TMAG, which yeah. is a travel manager's advisory group to IATA. And after we were on a conversation the other day uh, on a call, you know, it, it 
it became really apparent to me that, you know, obviously the vaccine is a huge step in the right direction, but it's not, um, it's not a silver bullet. It's not, it's not going to be the answer to, to going back to travel because countries are going to still want to see, um, you know, proof that you've been vaccinated. We're still going to need testing, you know, now yesterday, I think our, you know, one of the chief medical officers was saying, you know, just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you couldn't necessarily infect somebody who wasn't vaccinated, you know? So, I mean, there, there's a lot Mm. of complexity to this, you know, even with the vaccine, there's still going to be a lot of complexity around travel. And one important thing that we're really going to have to start focusing on is a digital, some sort of digital health passport, right? You've seen some of the airlines have started talking about a common pass, right? Um, IATA is working on the travel pass, you know, but we need to come up, the industry needs to come up with a standardized, consistent digital innovation, right? Mm. That can become like this digital health certificate for us. So we can prove that we've been vaccinated, you know, not Mm. only for COVID, but for other vaccines that you need when you travel as well, you know? So, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a really kind of uncharted and, and exciting time within travel. Well, time. that's one way to get people who are sort of um, resisting vaccination get on the list. If, if somehow you can tie it into the TSA pre-check thing, yeah. right? And, oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, yesterday on the news, they said, you know, if, you're, if you work for a privately owned company, your mm. company can insist that you can't come to work unless you're vaccinated or you can't mm. travel for work unless you're vaccinated. So it'll be interesting to see how companies, um, you know, what kind of approach they take with their employees going forward, you know, if they're going to make this type of requirement, you know. So you just mentioned, um, I didn't know that you're, yes, in fact, I do now recall that you're on the Zayata committee and you've been involved with all this, quite a few different trade uh, organizations and, and, and bodies and um, it seems like the sector is, um, has people who are really passionate about it and want to help each other. Um, the companies may be competing, uh, but, but, but the, 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 the travel managers tend to be very collaborative um, mm-hmm. and, and want to network and want to mentor, et cetera. Uh, what I do think you think that looks like breed. that? I think we're a very, very unique breed of professional. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't really know any other industry that has come together and collaborated so much with so much peer-to-peer learning during the mm. pandemic. Um, you know, it, it's been a tremendous support as well as, well as really inspirational yeah. to be, you know, either participating in these webinars or being an attendee at these webinars, you know, in which, you know, other travel managers, as well as the supply chain, the entire ecosystem of travel, you know, has really come together in a much more collaborative, transparent sort of way to help us all help each other out of this situation, you know? And mm. um, I think it's really unique. I, I really don't know any other industry in which, you know, you can go from being competitors or being in this more kind of historically mm. adversarial potentially relationship to all of a sudden, you know, it's we're all in it together, you know? Mm. And we have to, you know, our industry was catastrophically affected by the pandemic and, mm. you know, it's it's going to take a long time before the industry gets back on its feet. And, um, and I think all the peer to peer collaboration has been wonderful, really wonderful. Well, that's fantastic. And so we're going to 
wrap it up, I think, with a couple quick questions and, and sure. um, just once you start traveling again, where's the first leisure destination you're going to? Well, my first leisure destination mm -hmm. is going to be Ireland. I had okay. planned a really big birthday trip last year and I had to cancel everything. And I've yeah. been, believe it or not, I've, I've probably been to over 30 cities around the world over 20 years, but I've never been to Ireland. So I had put that high on my bucket list um, for next year or when we can get back to traveling. So I'd like okay. to take a trip to Ireland. Okay, what about your first business destination? Well, that will probably be London. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> It'll probably be London. It'll probably be London. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of stakeholders there, both internally mm. and externally. Um, and hopefully Singapore and, and the Philippines. Well, in London, there's some fantastic Michelin star restaurants who are desperate for, for our, 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 our patronage. You know that, right? I'm desperate to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you very soon, Anne.